everybody, and welcome to The Intersection, a podcast that takes a real look at how race and relationships intersect. We will look at how our unique and diverse lives intersect with thousands of people on a regular basis, and how the gospel intersects with each facet and issue that we face. Join us as we look at how we can set our eyes on the life of Christ as a source of compassion for each of our relationships. Our hosts include Pastor Jeff Bogue, Senior Pastor at Grace Church of Greater Akron, Bishop Joey Johnson, Founder and Senior Pastor at the House of the Lord, and Pastor Coach Kemp Boyd, Co-Pastor at Garden City Church and Executive Director for Love Akron. Keep listening as we cross paths on today's episode of The Intersection. Man, we want to thank everybody for being with us on another episode of The Intersection Podcast. Our desire and our goal is we just want to, you know, we want to do the best we can to intersect with one another relationally as we continue to intersect with Jesus, who is the author, the finisher, and the perfecter of our faith. And so this episode, we're going to talk about how do we lean into love and what does that look like together? Um, as we do this. And Bishop, you had sent us just uh, kind of an article, something to read, because we'd been talking about this last month about how we can just hijack language and hijack words to where we're really not communicating, but we're we're actually speaking kind of over each other. And we're actually not connecting, but we're actually colliding with each other as we communicate. Um, simply because we're not understanding words and the meaning of words. And so, Bishop, honestly, this took me back to 2020 um, when we launched our Connection versus Collision, the Black-White Conversation. Um, it was on June 17th, and I remember what you said to me that day. You you may not remember it. You're, you're, you're an elder statesman now, so I know that sometimes things, <laughs> Thank you. things don't always stay up here the way it needs to be. But you said something to me, Bishop, that I thought was really profound. Um, And I think it changed the landscape of that presentation because I think people always just thought we were going to talk about race. But what you said, Bishop, is like, no, man, we need to define terms. And you said if we can define what, whether it's um, systemic racism, institutional racism, structural racism, we have to define what things mean in order to have the conversation well. And so as I read what you sent us um, entitled Being Woke and Other Little Understood Terms, it took me back to that place. And so I just wanna open up with this, Bishop. Why is it important for us? And I want us to put on our Christian hats. Why is it important for us to understand terms defined in order to lean into these conversations, if you will, in this worldly space, social justice space, but when everybody's telling us in the body of Christ as Christians, that's not our space to be in. So why is terms for us so important to be defined? Well, I'm I'm gonna be doing a sermon series probably in about four or five weeks called The Problem of Talking Past One Another. And I'm gonna use the example of how you're having a conversation about a dog, but you don't define Uh, what you mean by a dog. You're talking about a German shepherd and I'm talking about a chihuahua. And uh, until we come together and, and, oh, oh, that what you were talking about, we talk past each other because we're using the same word dog, even though we're, the, the word dog has different meanings. But when we come to the Christian Bible, it is a revelation of God that is in words. It is God's word in human words. And so words become extremely important. And sometimes people wonder, well, why do we fight over words? Why do we talk about words? Well, because words are the vehicles that carry the concepts by which we may come to know who God is. And so, unfortunately, the Bible is in a different era, a different language, a different logic, um, a different culture. And we think we can take those words and that they mean the same thing today that they meant 2,000 years ago in a very diverse um, situation. So that that causes just all kinds of problems uh, that most people are unaware of because they're reading the Bible like they're reading the Beacon Journal. Um, You know, what it says is what it means, and uh, that's not even close, not even close to what what it's talking about. So I'll give you a word just to get us started, get us messed up. The word think. 
The word think, if you see the word think in the Bible, we think intellectual thoughts, rational. The Bible is not Greek. The Bible context is Hebrew. We even treat Paul because he was Greek and because he wrote in, in, in Koine Greek. We treat him like a Greek, even though he's a Hebrew theologian. So what we end up doing is taking think to mean rational thought. But the Hebrews don't use that word in that way. They use the word to mean emotion-fused thought. They use it to mean the heart, the centermost part of, being, a part of a being. So when we say think, it has nothing to do with what the Bible is talking about. And there are many words like that, which we just don't know. And so when you, when you start talking to somebody like me, guess what you'll do to a guy like me? He's a heretic. Hmm. The reason I'm a heretic is because I'm not puppeting the received, we call it the received truth that much of the church has is affirming. This is true. This is what it means. This is, and we all know that's what it means, when in fact, it, that's not what it means. And so we have to spend our time there. When we start talking about race, same thing. I, I sent you the article on the word woke. Uh, I had to look it up and actually do some research because the word is used in so many ways by so many different groups. Started out um, from an African-American perspective um, when uh, one particular group got a hold of it, which 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 white people don't like. Um, it got another uh, usage. Then um, uh, DeSantis in Florida has taken it and and weaponized it and said, "I'm going to make sure that the woke perspective ends up in the garbage can in the trash." Uh, by the way, um, the NAACP has put out a travel advisory to Florida. Um, <laughs> because of DeSantis' views <laughs> and what he's doing. But you have all of these words floating around, but you have no definition. So what I try to do is make sure that we are talking same definition, same vocabulary, same, so we can have conversation. Otherwise, we talk past each other. So th this is really interesting because I know we have, we've had this conversation for about a year now, maybe a little bit over a year as far as words and politics, and we've talked about how, you know, have we gotten caught up as Christians as um, from a standpoint of um, the political side of Christianity and has that been hijacked or taken away? And so what I'll tell you was, and, I, and I'm not this guy, but last night I went home and I found myself on CNN watching Michael Pence, right? The Republican presidential candidate's town hall. And I was like, man, I was really sitting there and tuned and listening. And Pastor Jeff, I thought about you. And I thought about one of our conversations, how you said, yeah, I'm not necessarily voting necessarily a Republican, but I'm voting based on what I value and what that looks like for me. And the one thing that I feel like is really being talked about within Christendom is like, where's our fit at? Where do we fit? Right? Do we fit in this social justice space? What is justice from a social justice perspective or this biblical lens? But I want to continue because you all were talking about this, this aspect of how do we lean into love through this communication? And also the communication brings us to understanding. So Pastor Jeff, just like what, what is our what is our fit as the body of Christ as we look out on the landscape of our country? especially with these words, woke, unwoke, things being hijacked, turned into weaponizing it. We're like, from, from your perspective, because obviously <laughs> you and Bishop are two different people, right? No, from, a ra from, a, <laughs> from a racial perspective. So um, we love and we trust each other. That's why we continue to do this together. I'm curious, um, Pastor Jeff, like, where do you see our fit in Christendom from your perspective? Um, as far as Christians are in fit into the culture? Yeah, the culture, yeah. what we're in right now. Because there's some that says, hey, man, we should be leaning completely out. Some are saying, no, we need to be smack dagger in the middle. For others, it's like, well, I got one foot in, one foot out. Is this the gospel, not the gospel kind of? And I'm not saying there's a right or a wrong. I'm just but we, it seems like we'll put that label on each other once we identify. I think um, 
I think we're strangers in a strange land and citizens of a different kingdom. So I, I don't, you know, talking about language, it kind of de- depends on what you mean by fit, but I don't think we're supposed to fit. Mm-hmm. I think we're supposed to understand so that we can bring the heart and mind of Jesus to bear on the conversation. And um, I, I know we've talked about this a little bit, actually you, you guys and uh, uh, affected my perspective just in our conversations, our friendships, but like I am really resistant to being put into a, a box that has a cultural label on it. Uh, because if you said, uh, uh, Jeff, you're a Republican, I'd be like, eh, not really. Well, you're a Democrat? No, not really. So you're an evangelical? Eh, kind of, sort of, not really. You're charismatic? No. Mm-mm. Reform? Eh. I, 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 I believe that Christians should be a third way and that we should be followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is not going to fit cleanly into any cultural context. He's going to not fit really cleanly into any theological box. Um, And he's not cleanly going to fit into any man-made construct where we developed an understanding of a mysterious God that can't be fully understood. So my fit is going to depend on what I think believers should do and churches should do is going to depend on the conversation, often the individual that the conversation is being had with, and then um, uh, and then it's going to morph based on what we're talking about. So, for instance, when you talk about racial things, um, talk about uh, uh, George Floyd and police officers, right? Are you for, or you support George Floyd and what happened, you know, with him, or do you support the cops? I'm like, the situation was wrong. Like I, you're, you're putting me into a bot. George Floyd was murdered by a rogue out of control cop. So I don't, it's not an indictment on all police officers. Uh, and it's not a support of everyone who interacts with police saying that every interaction is wrong. That situation is a situation. Now, can it be used to raise awareness? It, well, certainly, but don't throw me in a camp. I, I'm going to resist that because I'm I'm really confident that Jesus, because um, the, the scripture tells me, establishes authorities. And I'm really confident that authorities should not abuse their authority. And I'm real confident that, that Jesus is on this uh, is supportive of those who are victimized. And as a Christ follower, when an injustice happens, I should find myself on the side of justice. Those are not political questions for me. Those are questions about me following Jesus. So when you start creating camps and then you lump people, I like to say, if you can, if you can generalize people and lump them in a camp, you can dehumanize them, and then you don't actually have to interact with them. So you know, you know the way that the Black Lives protester guys are. Well, you don't know that because you don't know the, you don't really know why that individual is. That. You know cops. Well, you there, there's no such thing as that. There's there's cops that would jump in front of a bullet for you in a heartbeat. But as soon as you can generalize, you can discount. And so I think the the place of the believer in the church is to actually not conform to that mm-hmm. and, and to actually look at individuals, to look at situations. When you talk about like who you're going to vote for for president, well, the way that our system works is <clears throat> you kind of hold your nose and vote for the vote for the lesser of two evils. It's always been that way. But that's why Reagan isn't Jesus and Trump isn't Jesus and Obama isn't Jesus and Biden isn't Jesus. I'm, I'm, I have to, if I want to participate in a, in a political system, I'm going to have to vote for one and against the other. So I don't necessarily think like we should withdraw and all go Amish and not participate. But I, but I think 
looking for a system or a box that is going to be the savior is idolatry. And we need to be looking for the savior and doing our very best to express his heart and mind, particularly to the people that we know and love that are around us. So I wholeheartedly agree, but I want to use the words that people are, since we're talking about words today, that people would identify with, that would say the same thing that Brother Jeff just said, but would not mean the same thing. Mm. Uh, the word they would use would be kingdom. And that word is thrown around um, all over the place. People, you know, this the kingdom of God. I, I, I believe that most people, if the kingdom of God bit them, they wouldn't know what it was. Uh, what they're talking about is the church. I almost spit my coffee out, Joe. Listen, <laughs> you gotta yeah. warn me before about. you say yeah, something right. like that. What they're talking about is the church, and they're talking about churchianity and religion. They're not talking about the kingdom. The kingdom is a biblical concept, um, which is greater than the church, even though the church um, identifies with it and flows out of it. Then I use another term once again that that's a, a very powerful term, but we don't understand it. The church is the, the kingdom is almost always countercultural. Yeah. The only reason I wouldn't say it's always is because that would make it an absolute, and there are no absolutes are normally uh, not absolute. So, but but it's almost always countercultural. So, what is the culture? And so, what happens is, as we begin to look at these kind of things, it, we we have I want to muddy the waters a whole lot. It's easy to say I'm of the kingdom and I'm countercultural while at the same time being uh, enculturated by everything that's going around us. You can't mm -hmm. watch TV uh, eight, nine hours a day and think you're biblical. Um, yeah. that's, what we do in, that's what we do in America. I watch TV. TV is my main, uh, I'm not saying me, but this is what people are doing. TV is my main input. I, I veg on it all day long. I did, and, but then... I go to church and start talking about the Bible as if I know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm thoroughly enculturated by TV, by the by the whoever's setting up the programs, by the ideology behind the program, by what they're trying to communicate to me, both consciously and unconsciously. And so that that's what's going on, and that's what's happening in the Bible. So sometimes I go on and I deal with the people who populate the pages of the Bible because they're they're not biblical either; they're Hebrew. And sometimes that what they what they believe matches the Bible, and sometimes it doesn't. Paul said something that would just shock Christian. He said, "Look at the Hebrews; they are an example of what not to do." No, Bishop, that's what he said. But we think we should we should emulate them. You know, the Jew, the Hebrews of the Old Testament did this. That's what we should do. Paul said, "Look, they're an example of what not to do." <laughs> yeah, and, and and Jesus said, "You, you know, you you." You searched the scriptures, but you didn't find That's right. me. You didn't come you to know, me. You're blind to it. And you, uh, Joe, you've talked about before. It's very true. Like we read ourselves into that context, you know. So David and Goliath is not about me facing my problems. It's about it's about a Messiah saving and redeeming a nation, you know. And 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 we, I'm not sure that um, what God wants from his people is to be transformative in whatever space and culture and relationship they, they are in. So kind of to, to your point, Joey, that if, if I read the Gospels, just the, the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if I read the Gospels eight hours a day and turned off news and podcasts and radio, my perspective on the world, if I was just trying to build a framework to look at the world, yep. would be completely transformed. And what would happen is it would match nothing in either political camp. So what I what I do is I in I in I uh, saturate myself with the truth of God. That's the renewing of the mind. Yep. I saturate myself with the truth of God. Then I bring politics into that, and I I filter the culture through the the person of Christ and the Holy Spirit actually empowers me to do that. And what you're going to find is there's not camps to belong to. Jesus, um, it's fascinating. Jesus never wrote a book, never built a church, never had a podcast. And we can say, well, it was 2000 years ago. I'm like, well, he's God. So he could have done it if he wanted to. 
what you see Jesus doing primarily is preaching about what the kingdom of God is like. So mm -hmm. he's describing that. Think the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. And then you watch him illustrating what the kingdom of God is like as he interacts with people individually. Absolutely. So, so let me ask this I mean, question. Wait, 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 I know you. I know you control this thing, but let me let me just. I want to illustrate something. <laughs> I don't know that you control. Five seconds. Five <laughs> seconds. Okay, 20, 25 seconds. I used to do a revival in Cleveland, and what I would do on, is I would go up on Wednesday night, and I would do a media and food fast until Sunday morning. Hmm. And when I would arrive on Sunday morning, I would be completely out of touch with everything that was going on. And people would come up to me and say, well, you know what happened, right? I'll say, I'm sorry, I don't, you know. Well, you know, the Cavs lost, no, I don't know. I've been on a media fast. I don't know anything that's going on. And so that changes your entire perspective and approach to the world. All right, go ahead, Kim. So again, we're going back words. Here's what I didn't hear outside of it being countercultural. Can, can we define for our audience what the kingdom of God is? Yeah, it's really simple. The problem is if you can't, if you don't have, if you don't grow up in a culture that allows you to assimilate certain meanings, they're just words. So I can tell you that the kingdom of God is where the rule of God is being established. Hmm. Okay, what does that mean? Yes. Keep going. <laughs> what does that mean? That means that the rule of God is not being established in America. The rule of God, and, and, and in fact, it takes us completely away, as, as um, uh, pastors just said, because what happens is God, I, I get guys that ask me all the time, you know, I'm, talk to me, because I deal with pastors. I'm trying to build this church, you know, I'm growing this church. I'm just, I just usually stop them and say, where do you, where did you find that God told you to build a church? Because I'd like to find that. I want to do it. It doesn't say anything in the Bible about building churches. It said preach the gospel. Mm. That'll build mm -hmm. a church. But God, Jesus doesn't seem to be interesting so much in building physical churches as he is in building the kingdom of God, which he said, right. upon this rock, I will build my church. But that's the, there we got a problem because he said church, not kingdom. But as you go through the, the, the text of the Bible, you come to understand church and kingdom are often interchangeable. So once again, you got word issues. Word. So, what's, so define the church. It's the people of God. The people of God, and the people of God are often the, are, are also the kingdom of God. Right. So, the, I I love I like the definition: the rule of God being established, but it's in His people. Mm -hmm. And so, it's the people of God allowing the person of Christ. Yep. to rule and reign over their life through the power of the Holy Spirit. I wholeheartedly agree with that. It's not the and place, it's the people. It's the people. And the church is the ecclesia. It's it's the called out people of God. And, and so the, yeah, the further we go, the more the kingdom does this. It becomes the church. It gets shrinking and shrinking and it becomes the church. So it is not the entire kingdom and is not the wider perspective that becomes the narrower perspective of people in particular places, particular thought patterns, particular religious uh, affections, those kind of things. So, so Pastor Jeff, define to me, define for us and our audience the gospel. Well, the gospel is, um, it's a really good let me think of right words here. The gospel. Like while he's thinking, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. <laughs> well. First Corinthians 15. Yeah. And I, this is what I was about ready to say. I was about ready to say that. But the gospel, the gospel is salvation by grace through Christ Jesus lived out as a as a transformed heart and a renewed mind by the people of God. So. The gospel is not just salvation. The gospel is is the full redemptive work of Jesus Christ, and it and as he describes the kingdom, and as he um, as he illustrates the kingdom, that is the 
playing out of the gospel. So I grew up in a tradition where the, the gospel meant John 3, 16, and it meant don't go to hell. And I'm like, I'm not even sure that's the gospel at all. Uh, the gospel is the total renewal work of Christ that is our salvation that, that's, that's played out in us. But if you, if you truncate that definition to I got saved, mm-hmm. <laughs> you actually made the gospel about you, not about Christ. So the, 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 the gospel is about the power of Christ playing out in your life and every aspect of your life. It's God's work in you, not your work for God. Yep. Brother, Brother Kemp, I read um, all kinds of systematic theology. I taught systematic theology for years, and most of the terms we use are systematic. It's not biblical. Um, uh, I've read through the Bible more than 40 times. So my, my vocabulary is usually biblical, not theological, not necessarily doctrinaire. So I would use, a, let's use a biblical term and see if we can get and what it does to us. It's called the way. See, right away, we're in trouble because it's asking for, it's not a full-blown definition, but what it is, is a picture. It's a metaphor of a way of life that we live according to God's uh, dictates God's mandate, God's truth, God's, it's the way he called it. So they didn't call it um, salvation early on. They didn't call it, you got saved. They call it the way. It's a way of life. And it's one of the reasons we have people now coming to church, doing something on Sunday and calling themselves saved and doing whatever they want to do Monday through Saturday, because it's not a way. It's just a it's just an ascent to a certain set of beliefs. <clears throat> when you go back into the scripture and you see Jesus say things like my, my, uh, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. That yoke was uh, a rabbi's teaching his thinking, his way of life. A student would commit themselves mm-hmm. to immersing themselves in his teaching, his thinking, his way of life. And that was them taking his yoke upon them. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus says my yoke, he's not talking about the restrictions that don't let oxen turn to the left or the right. It's a, that's a horrible way to describe it. He's not, it's not agricultural in his nature. He's talking about his teachings. What I usually say his heart and his mind what, what is Jesus thinking and why? And what is Jesus wanting and loving and why? And the, the more that I, as I grow in Christ, that's where the apostle says, I, I pray that you grow in your truth and your understanding more and more. That you understand Christ's heart more. You understand his mind more. You understand his way more. Yep. And that is the yoke of the believer. That is not... I don't want to go to hell. So I'll go to church every week. Mm-hmm. That, that is empty pharisaical thinking. It's the law is what that is, but it's not absent from the church. Right. Obviously. And, and so oh, oh. It, it's the it, it, brother Jeff is hitting on, on a very problem we're dealing with and with his excellent example, because he's not talking about the American use of the word yoke. Right. But the Hebrew use. Of yeah. The word. <clears throat> and we and have to was... understand that culture. Since we didn't grow up in Hebrew culture, almost every word that's being used probably has a picture that does not come to our mind. It just wouldn't come to us because it's not where we grew up. So people often ask me, because I teach this, you know, what so what am I supposed to do to become respectful of the Hebrews? as you study the Bible and attempt to understand the culture and logic in which it is written so I can hear what God said to the original people. That's where you start. And if you, if you ask, if you were to ask me, uh, how do I grow spiritually? I would start the conversation by saying, um, depth, Christian depth is not knowledge. It's life change. It's the depth to which I receive the heart and the mind of Jesus. So um, how do I deal with George Floyd? 
Well, I go and I look and I try to understand how Jesus would look at someone who was victimized, someone who, how would Jesus view George Floyd more and more? That then forms my view of how I would approach something that's in the news every day. And the more that I understand the heart and mind of Jesus, because sometimes that heart is full of mercy and compassion, and that's exactly what I need to do. And sometimes that is Jesus putting his foot down. There's an injustice. It's unacceptable. You are not, you're not going to do, you're, you are not going to defame my father's house. Right. But, but I have to, I have to go back and say, how does Jesus, for lack of a better term, like how does he think and what motivates him? So what I say to people sometimes is my calling as a Christian is to act like, talk like, think like, and be motivated like Jesus Christ. And, and I want the whole of my person. And that's actually what the word Christian is. Christian means little Christ or imitator of Christ. So we're to be mistaken for Jesus because of the renewal and the transformation that he's done in our head, the renewing of our mind and the transformation of our heart. And it, it's a, it's a totally um, different path. So you talk about like, um, words, if you said to someone, uh, I want to follow Jesus, we'll talk about a, a term that nobody knows what it means, or uh, I am saved. Nobody, what's it? I'm a Christian. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Yeah. Because yeah. The, the working definition isn't coming from Christ himself a lot of times. And when we talk about that, those are, that's a great way of talking about it. We, we are, we're not talking, and when I start using these words, this is when I start getting in trouble, and this is when I become a heretic, because I'm boiling it down, and the culture has become very evident. It's not about information. It's about application and transformation. Yeah. So we don't study to get smart. We study to do. So when Jesus is dealing with the um, the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, he says, go and do likewise. We would say, oh, go and imitate what he did. No, go and be like you saw him be. Yeah. Go, not just do something, not just imitate something, not just, it's not a religious thing. It is, a, so when Jesus goes and, and, and begins with his disciples, when he says, follow me, guess what he means? Follow me right now. Drop your nets, follow me. Okay, that's not what we mean. What we mean is go get a Bible, go to Bible school, start doing other things. Um, those are ways that may, we might end up following him, but most of the time, those are just ways of intellectual. And I say this, I get in trouble for it, but, but so what? I mean, I'm always in trouble anyway. Um, people, you know, I'm studying, I'm following. Most, of, most Christians in America, don't want anything to do with Jesus. What they enjoy is intellectual study. And they use the Bible as a study book. And they study it and they feel good about it and they argue about it and they talk about it and they and they struggle over it and whatever. But, but meeting Jesus does not mean that you're an excellent student. That's nice. <laughs> so, so, so let me go ahead and throw this in right here to our audience. Um, we're not saying don't go to seminary. Don't hear that, please. <laughs> that's that's not what's being said here. It's, Any more than I would uh, say, don't go to Sunday school. <laughs> you can go to Sunday school. You can go to seminary. You can go to any in educational institution you want, but that will not necessarily give you a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the power that's of right. Holy Spirit. Just change just change the examples. If if we were talking about marriage. Would you study your wife, read books on her, and then give a term paper about her facts? Would that cause her to feel loved and close to you? And would you feel loved and feel intimate with her because you knew information? If you did that in parenting, your kids would say, you don't know me, you don't understand me, and you would say, I don't feel loved. So never think of God outside of relational terms. Mm-hmm. And seeking to love him, we, we, we know him so that we can love him.
And that information, like when I met Heidi, I needed to ask her name. I needed to know where she was from. I cared about what her major was in college. But that wasn't the basis of our love. That was a path that took me ultimately to, to her heart. And that's why we argue the minutia of theology and doctrine. Now, what's interesting is this. <clears throat> I know here at our church, we're having a revival amongst young people, 18 to 28 year olds. In some ways are at an advantage because most of them were not raised in the church. So as we talk to them about knowing and loving Jesus and Christ wanting to know and love them, it actually makes more sense to them because they're, they're beginning their embrace of God with a relationship and then adding knowledge into it, which causes them to love and appreciate the heart of God more and more. That's great. And as that knowledge and his heart is added to it, then they start to deal with things like sin and dysfunction and pain. The tradition I was raised with, you started with sin, dysfunction and pain. Absolutely. And then basically you were told uh, God loves you enough not to sin, not, not to deep fry you right now. Yeah. And the, the, the path of the conversation starts. The woman at the well felt loved and accepted by Christ before he, he uh, right. ever right. said, go and sin no more in essence, you know? And so What's it's easiest? going back really to Jesus's model of, of, of those yeah. relationships. When you say relationship, that, that's the key. That's why my model is relationships are everything. But I was just recently at Ashland. They asked me to come up with a few other pastors and talk about the, at the seminary and what changes need to be made and if they're going to be able to survive or not. And one of the things I said is exactly along these lines. How did the, how did the academy get separated from the church? How do we get to the point where I write a term paper to become a pastor? I mean, if there's nothing like that in the Bible, where'd that come from? It comes from Greek Western mindsets and thinking. So they asked me, so what, what do you suggest? I said, why don't we go back to the Bible? I mean, that would be a novel idea. What did they do <laughs> in the Bible? It's called apprenticeship. You are the apprentice of the prophet. You are the apprentice of whoever you work for them, they will let you know when you are ready to go into ministry. Yep. And they have a great idea with, about whether you're ready or not because you live with them and they train you until you are ready. Now we've got this separation and that has affected the church where we believe knowledge is an indication or a test of my Christianity and of my character. It, we, do, we, we now know that artificial intelligence can write a sermon. Doesn't have to be saved. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't even have to be a person. You know, well, it's, inter it's interesting, Bishop. We, we were having that because we do, we our apprenticeships call them interns and residents. They, they have to do ministry and learn the Bible. And then what happens is they learn, as they learn the Bible, they apply it to ministry. It makes the Bible come alive. But I was just talking to some of them the other day about AI. And uh, <clears throat> they were saying it can write a sermon. And I said, what's the problem with that? And they were like, well, it's unethical. I said, no, what's the problem with that? Well, it's lazy. I said, no, what's the problem with that? They didn't know. I said, the problem with that is you just divorced the Holy Spirit from preaching. Mm -hmm. you, you think preaching is a conveyance of information. It's not. It's the Holy Spirit interacting with the shepherd about the needs of the flock that he's shepherding. Yep. And then he, ta he takes you into God's word and, and you do that. And, and AI can't do that. Hold on. Let's stop. We just brought up another word. Who is the Holy Spirit? Oh, no, you don't want to go there. I'm studying that again. Oh, I'm right? just saying, we're talking about there. words. I don't want to go there. You know, if we, if we want to lean too far to, to over to this way, we'll say the Holy Ghost. If, if you want to end <laughs> this broadcast, you want to end this broadcast, end this podcast, about <laughs> the Holy Ghost, and uh, somebody ain't going to have a church or something's going to happen, because we, we do not agree on anything because we of the Western mindset of the way we approach. There's no personal reality. And let me give you a real 
real quick something that uh, that that came to mind as Pastor Jeff was talking. And, and don't leave only, my question. You come back not, to my all, question. Not only does it divorce the Holy Spirit, it takes people out of it. Right. Mm. And guess what? I was stuck talking Sunday just a little bit because this people don't want to hear this. The church is human and divine. Okay. That's right. We don't want that. We don't want that. We want the church to be perfect. And if you give a term paper, guess what? You can get all the right answers. Maybe you can get a hundred. But the church is human. That means we have our frailties, our issues, our troubles, our struggles, our all of that. While miraculous power is manifested in the midst of vessels that are not what they ought to be. That's right. But that's right, because right, the way the church, we define it was, it's, it's called out people of God. That's right. It was people. They're, so people. Therefore, they're not angels. People. They're people. Yeah. Who, who have now the connection to the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit, though? Before I answer that. That's another, that's another, that's another program, Kim. Well, that's let me just talk about the church, because not only is the church the called out people of God, but people don't, people think the church is an organized set of programs that happens in a building. You better say so the reason, the reason why you're usually disillusioned with the church is because you're a customer who's dissatisfied with the product now. That you purchase. You better preach, brother. <laughs> and, and, and that's, and when you look at people, de, look at people deconstructing their faith, which I've, I've had many, many conversations with folks Come who are doing now. this, 90% of what they're deconstructing is the church. Yeah, and this will get me in trouble. So I, I, I go on the hot seat with there, Bishop. That's okay. Um, they're usually right. Mm. They're usually right about the church, and Mm. like this was unnecessary. This was an ad, or the Bible doesn't say this. I'm like, right. That is that is an organized set of programs and people that have been turned into a subculture, and you're a dissatisfied customer. That is that is not what the church is. The church is a people that have been saved by the grace of God through the gift of his son and the salvation he provides who are in their human frailties, following that son, trying to allow their mind to be renewed and their heart to be transformed so that they reflect that son to the people that they are ambassadors to. That's what the church is. Yep. And that's going to be beautiful and messy. I, I love what what you said there, Bishop, like it's, it's human and divine is, it's a beautiful mess. Mm. And it's, it's like every family, there's not a, there's no one on earth that I will protect and fight for more than my family and yep. no one on earth that I'll be more easily hurt by, or more uh, tend to become angry or quicker with than my family. It, it's a, it's a beautiful mess because it's a relational situation. Um, but I don't treat my family like a product. Mm. right and i don't treat my marriage like a product that's why when i'm unhappy with my marriage i don't go file for divorce it's not a product yeah here's the book that you guys ought to be aware of because you know without a book um kemp would not know how to operate he needs a book (laughs) Uh, james k.a smith wrote a book called you are what you love and here's one of the quotes from his book If you use the same methods that the world uses, you will get the same thing that the world gets. Guess what that is? Not worshipers, consumers. Yeah. Come on now. So we we train, we use the same methods, we same motivational tactics, same everything. And then we wonder, so why aren't our people worshiping God? Because you're not using biblical principles and perspectives and teaching. You're using worldly, cultural, American mm. perspectives. Um, mm. Perhaps even to teach biblical per, biblical truth. But you're using a cultural model and cultural ways and cultural methods. And what happens is we get consumers. This is not what I want. I mean, people come to my church. What do they want? Do you have a nursery? Do you have a gym? Do you have, wait a minute? Are you coming to Jesus or are you coming in to work out? What do you, what do you, what are you what are you trying to do here? I mean, what what is this about? Um, and what it's about is consumerism. You don't have what I want, and so people shift churches, go to other places because um, they they're not getting what they want. It's not you know in discipleship, uh, and I and I love kung fu because I'm a man, and um, they go fight and whatever. But one thing we don't talk about with kung fu is if you have a 
uh, a sensei, a master, and you lost your, your master, put you out. You don't get another master. Mm. Nobody else will touch you. Mm. Here so in America, you can just go from church to church, place to place, master to master, discipler to discipler, and we pick you up and walk on because it's about consumerism. Mm. So I'm going to close this right there. And I want to say that nobody answered my question about the Holy Spirit, but it's all right. We're going to table it to next. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the power of God. The Holy Spirit is the, the power personal, of God. He is the personal power of God. That's what I would say. One thing. Now, you can't define the Holy Spirit because he is so uh, undefinable. And let's talk about this next time. Words can never capture what we are talking about when we're talking about an indefatigable, inexplainable, magnificent God. How are we gonna put that into words? And so Eastern Orthodox have what's called uh, apophatic doctrine. They will not ask certain questions. They don't, they're not caught like Americans who think they can propositionalize everything in the world. We can put it in a sentence. No, some things can't be put in a sentence. So, first of all, I always thank you so much. Um, I want to, I want to bring right now to both of you my, my alt at both of you right now in front of our audience live on screen. That um, nobody has invited me to stay in their home for apprenticeship. So I haven't gotten the invitation <laughs> to Bishop Johnson's house to stay there. And Pastor Jeff has it. You know, I'm always looking for a prayer, but nobody's Pastor opening their Jeff, home. Pastor Jeff, he tried to take come you, and stay you, didn't in. Want, you didn't want to. You didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't have wanted to stay with me this life. Now you come over now, I'll take you right in. <laughs> Which goes into a deeper, deeper role for us as That's men. That's a deeper issue there. That's what we Yeah, yeah. Like our, our, and then, too, are we doing that with our children, right? The yeah. children that are actually ours in our home, are we leaning to, into that with them? So... As always, I, I really appreciate both of you, brothers. Um, I, I don't see you enough. I just saw Bishop Johnson because he got that he got that long dough. I saw him. Hey, let me tell you why I saw him at Pastor Jeff. You know what I'm saying? He was having dinner. I'm like, man, Bishop Johnson don't leave now. Hey, <laughs> let, let me not tell Bishop's <laughs> business. I'm going to say this off, off, off camera. But I, I see you, Pastor Jeff. You're looking good. You got your hair cut, a little tan. You've been on vacation. I see you, man. You got yourself cleaned up. I see you, brother. You shine. <laughs> well, my my son got married last weekend, so I had to I had to look acceptable at the wedding. <laughs> Congratulations! Did did you do the marriage? I did. Yeah. Hey, man. Praise God. We talk about apprenticeship. Look at that. Yeah. Coming about coming to fruition. Um, but I appreciate you both, man. Love you always. Enjoy journey journeying with both of you on this intersection. And so, for everybody out there, please. Like, follow the Intersection Podcast um, on Apple, Google, Sketcher, Spotify, YouTube. You can subscribe and follow us there. Please do so. And if you have any questions for us, um, for not for me, but for Bishop or Pastor Jeff, please <laughs> ask them. Don't ask me because all I'm going to do is come back and ask them. Somebody asked this question, what's the answer, right? Um, but we have these terms, and these terms are so important. Again, the kingdom of God is where the rule of God is is being established. Where is it being established? In us. In us. Right. And that is so, so important. The church is the called out people of God, right? It's the called out people of God. And the gospel is the renewing work of Christ that is being done. Um, that is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's remember that. Let's remember the transformative work of the Holy Spirit that is always working in us. And let's continue to be who God has called us to be in this time and in this moment within our city, within our state, within our country, but most of all, within our homes. So we say peace to you, God bless, and continue, continue, continue to meet us at The Intersection. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of The Intersection, where we look at how everything intersects and brings us all back to Jesus. You can subscribe and follow us on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. You can reach out to us with questions or comments at intersection at loveakron.com. That's intersection at loveakron.com. And we'll see you next time at the intersection.